0: Welcome to Indoctrination, a weekly conversation series about protecting yourself from systems of control. I'm your host, Rachel Bernstein. Hey everyone, I want to let you know about a debut novel that I think you'll really enjoy. From the Moon, I Watched Her by Emily English Medley. It's a coming of age tale that begins in the Texas church during the year 1977. This powerful fictional page turner is packed with sin and secrets but then offers you hope and healing, much like what we talk about on this show. From the Moon I Watched Her is published by Greenleaf Book Group and is available for pre-order now, ahead of its official release, on January 19th. Get your copy anywhere books are sold. Hi, everybody. Before we get started today, I just wanted to thank you all for your support and your wonderful words. And for the people who have gone to patreon.com slash indoctrination to become subscribers of the show, it is incredibly helpful, truly, 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 and very much appreciated. And we are going to be having some cool new perks available to the Patreon subscribers. So stay tuned for some future announcements about the cool goodies that you're going to be able to get. So again, Go to patreon.com indoctrination to become a supporter of the show. I also wanted to let you know that after the outro or the one more thing before you go, I'm going to talk a little bit about what happened this week or probably by the time you hear it, the past week in Washington, D.C. It just seemed like something that should be talked about. i am so happy to have Lola Binkard back on the show. It's been really interesting to hear her story, and I am so very glad that you're going to be able to hear part two of my conversation with her today. Lola is an author and an actress, and she was born and raised fourth generation within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, otherwise known as the Mormons and she was born in Salt Lake City, Utah. She's now lived in California for 16 years, and she has a horror anthology called The River God and Other Stories, and a short story called 4-H. And they're both available on e-books on Gumroad and Amazon. When I asked her to tell me why she wanted to be on the show, even though she and I had already talked about it, she put it in writing, and I want to be able to read her words for you because she expresses herself so well. So this is from Lola. My reasons for being on the podcast are talking about the power of boundaries and shame. I wanted to be able to be on this podcast to talk about the toxic effects of raising girls to believe blind obedience and total self-sacrifice our feminine virtues, and how teaching girls to marry and defer to the right kind of man sets them up to be victims of narcissists and high-control groups, even if they leave the religion and group itself. I also felt it was important to stop hiding the shame I felt from falling into the trap of emotional predators as my embarrassing secret and that it was important to be honest about the fact that anyone can fall victim to manipulative people if they're taught their value or quote-unquote worthiness comes from someone else. I want everyone to know that boundaries don't make you the bad guy. They shine a light on who the bad guys are. Here's Lola now. say he did a number on you while you were together he did a number on you or in retrospect or both
1: in retrospect I did not stand a single chance because I had been so love starved in an environment that told me that I was supposed to like get the guy and I had left acting school and I was not getting any attention anymore. And Wizard Rock was really big on MySpace. I, we started talking on MySpace. Literally the first show I went to, the love bombing was immediate. He's, he was one of the most charming people I've ever met. He said things to me that were like something out of a rom-com. He said the kind of things and he did the kind of things that people don't ever hear or do. But it was also really crazy, too, because I was never I struggle with how to define it because I i was never his girlfriend. It was always very casual. Nothing like overtly sexual ever happened. I, and I I had been raised to believe that people who want to sleep with you before you're married don't respect you. So in my mind, that meant he respected me more. And because he was a musician, he would go on tour all the time. He would just vanish and reappear and vanish and reappear. And anytime I would say, well, obviously this isn't, I haven't heard from you in two weeks. Um, Clearly you don't want to like go out anymore. Like that's fine. Then he would suddenly, no, 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 no. I want to see you this weekend. And then he would like, take me out and we'd go to dinner in a museum and and we would like have this incredible date and everything would be fine. And then he would be gone again. Or I'd see photos of him with other girls and I'd say, what's going on there? And he would gaslight me and say, like, I don't know you're talking about. Those are my friends. And it just went on and on. And eventually I started to figure out that I was one of many people that he was seeing. And I wasn't even one of his favorites because I was I was only seeing him when I was seeing him because he had main relationships and he had road relationships. And I was backup, which was really devastating. I built the fake relationship for myself. He knew what to say to imply that things were good. It actually, I got chills up and down my body when I watched The Vow on HBO. And there were the interviews where all the footage of the leader of that group, Keith Raniere, the way that he would ask leading questions. And the way that he would imply things and then nod, but he would never own what he was doing. And then when he was confronted, he would blow up and be like, how could you say that? I never did that. You did that. That was what would happen every time I would start to try to establish boundaries and do anything about it.
0: They say about narcissists that they get the most angry when you accuse them of things they've actually done. Usually people get upset if when people don't feel believed and they're getting accused of things they haven't done. But a narcissist will just flip out when you call them on their stuff. And that's just cutting too close for them because the veneer is starting to wear off and that makes them, I think, terrified. And they see that as, I think, a narcissistic injury hurt them and their fragile ego. So they're going to hurt you back by making you feel like you're crazy or you're being jealous or you're being pathetic or you're a lot of things. I'm just wondering what you remember getting called by him.
1: It's crazy because in hindsight, I I would go so long between actually seeing him. It reminds me of people I've heard about that have the fake online relationships where it's the scam and they're getting yeah. their money stolen. No money was stolen from me, but mm-hmm. so like, I'm an attention would be stolen from me. And basically, when it really started to fall apart, uh, when the cracks started to show, was when I I started asking him who people were and asking why I wasn't invited to places. He'd post a photo at Disneyland and I'd be like, well, if you want to see me so bad, why wasn't I invited to Disneyland? Oh. And why are you with four other girls at Disneyland? And then he would have some sort of reply of, and it was usually all by text. Whenever I was mad at him, he, it would all stay in a place where he didn't have to hear me yell. And it would be like, I don't, listen, I have, those are my friends and i hadn't seen them in a long time and i don't understand where this is coming from at all because if i knew you had wanted to go to disneyland of course i would have invited you i really don't understand why you're being so irrational you know why you it was just basically calm down you crazy weirdo i don't have time to explain to you why i'm very busy and important and why why I would drop everything to see you. Yeah, And I think that once that once it started to splinter a little bit, then I would start to hear jabs about, he would, which is also something I noticed that Keith Raniere does, where he would say something in a very playful tone of voice that was actually very hurtful. Like he would joke about me being a groupie. Like it would just be a conversation about something else. He'd be like, yeah, well, you're just a groupie. And I would say, whoa, what? And he'd be like, relax, calm down. It's just a joke. And then he would go on to something else, or he would like make a crude remark about like my body or like something very sexual. Our relationship had been very wholesome up to that point. And uh, I remember being very, I would be very shocked about it. And then he would act like, well, it was just a joke. I thought, I thought you could handle it, but I'm sorry if you didn't understand that I'm really stressed and I wanted to joke around to relax a
0: little bit. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. You don't have a sense of humor. Yeah, yeah.
1: It was like, oh, I'm really confused. I don't know where this is coming from.
0: Okay, yeah, that whole innocent thing. (laughs) That's going to last for a while until it sounds like he had certain scripts that he would follow. Oh, but how could you And after you hear that for the 50th time, you get a little tired of it. What Mm -hmm. were you going to say?
1: He literally had scripts. He literally had things that after a lot of things came to light that I found out about later, other I found out from the accounts of other women who had been seeing him around the same time, he had the exact same conversations with them. Mm. The things that he had said to me that were like the really beautiful things, like I remember there was an exchange. It was something to the effect of feeling nervous being around me or couldn't believe he was lucky enough to get to be on a date with me. And I read someone else's account after the fact, and he had the exact same conversation with them. He literally just said the same things to every single woman.
0: When people are like this, they hone their skills. If they find something works, they stick with it then it becomes something that they tell to a lot of people and you get to hear the same things over and over again. And when it stops working or it doesn't work as well, they refine it until it works. And so much of their time, I think their mental energy is spent figuring out how to get themselves out of a bad situation, how to redirect it onto the other person, how to also acquire people. Mm Because it sounds like he liked collecting
1: no, man. I think for me, that was the most devastating thing was finding out that it wasn't even that he liked me. It was just, I was easy to get. I made it so easy for him to just pick me up and put me on the shelf whenever he wanted to. And I would wait around for him like a dog. Like I would literally sit around waiting for him to message me. And I, I would Uh, tell myself not to do it. And I tell myself like, Oh, I haven't talked to him in a couple of months. I'm over it. I'm not going to talk to him anymore. And then he would call and everything would feel so good again. Everything like now it's real. And Mm -hmm. it was just, I had a therapist. I lied to my therapist that I was still seeing him. I had told her that I wasn't going to see him anymore. And then I started seeing him again. And I lied to my therapist. (laughs) <laughs> because I knew that she'd tell me that it wasn't real it was like the one thing that was the closest to what I was supposed to have and the idea that it was just another guy being mean to me because he could get away with it because there mm-hmm. were so many women
0: that he could choose from was just so horrible I couldn't face it okay and I I want to say too and this is not at all to make you feel bad this is like just a a message a cautionary message and i think a realistic message for people and something good to remember that i've met enough people who are narcissistic some who are sociopathic which was very creepy to spend time with them i have to say because you can ugh, you just feel like you need to take a shower after spending time with them but that a, a number of people who are controllers manipulators narcissistic in their way, have expressed to me that when they got a sense that they could control someone or they could keep them on a short leash, for lack of a better term, or that they knew that if they just said something the right way, they could get them to forgive them for their bad behavior or they could get them to be convinced that everything was still fine, that they didn't respect the women as much when they knew that they could manipulate them. Yeah. And that just added to a feeling of entitlement. I think that they could just keep doing this to these people. Now, I know we're using gender differences here, but it's, it happens also with same gender, different genders back and forth everywhere, every direction. But I'm just going with the genders that you're talking about here, but really it does happen in every way. And that the people who they often respect are the ones who don't play their game, Mm -hmm. the ones who make it hard for them. They don't often spend time with them because it's too much work. And they also can't handle being rejected. Mm -hmm. But I think when people think that if they just work harder, please this person, that that person is going to like them more, it's actually the opposite. So I want everyone to. Remember
1: that. That's right on the money. It's exactly right. Talking about it being a short leash. It was so brutal to come to terms with the fact that I was a joke to this person who was like, I thought I was in love with him. Like I would have done it if he had been a cult leader. I would have joined the cult. If he'd if he'd asked me for money, I probably would have given him money. I am lucky in that way. I am luckier than some of the other women who were also dating him, who I, I can only, I, I can go off of accounts from the people who allegedly were his victims who are in the online, who were in like the Tumblr community. He had other relationships where there are allegations of sexual assaults he was soliciting things from underage girls because as i said all ages shows about harry potter people were just dropping off their like 15 year olds at at these wholesome shows and he was apparently targeting all of them i can't even imagine what they went through and i've talked to some of them since but it was really shocking
0: i think it's very powerful especially when you talk about your childhood that you've been able to talk to some of these women because i think Having a network, having people you can talk to where you're not the lone voice and you're not alone, where you can have people validate your experience and even talk about theirs, where there's overlap and also where for some people it was even worse is an incredibly important thing to do. And it's also really helpful just in terms of having that kind of empowerment that comes with connecting with people who get it, who know. It's important also for people to not come out of those experiences with too much self-judgment, although it's almost inevitable. As I've mentioned many times on the show that the the shame and all of it could be placed on the shoulders of the person who is the perpetrator, the person who orchestrated this, but they're not built that way. They often don't have the capacity or the interest in feeling remorse and feeling shame. And so it's usually the victims who do. And so I'm wondering how you were able to finally break things off with him. Just going back to the story that you were telling about just leaving the fold when you were younger and what were those moments that, that did it, that were the last straws?
1: Interestingly enough, the thing that finally ended it for me was I had, I I built up in about probably around 2012, 2013, I had built up a pretty good group of friends. I had started making content. I had, I had some ground under my feet. I had some confidence. I had dated a little bit more. I had gone longer and longer without hearing from him. And um, I was in the middle of filming a web series. I had wrapped for the day and I had some time off for myself and I was feeling so good about going home and just chilling out and watching a movie. And I got a, I got a, a sext from him about how he wished we had had more sex when we were together. We never, we were never intimate because, in hindsight, he wasn't that into me. And second of all, I, I, re, I just knew instantly that he meant to send that to someone else, or he was confusing me with someone else. Mm. And I don't know why I knew. I just I, I, at that point I hadn't yet heard about all of the other girls. Um, that came out a couple years later for me, uh, but I knew that this meant that he meant, I thought he meant to send it to someone else. And I had had such a long day and I was so mad. And so I just started texting him back and I told him that what he had sent me wasn't okay. And that was like, when I say that, that's that at the time, that was like my equivalent of like punching someone in the face. Like that to me was like felt like such a level of aggression in general to be like, Hey, I don't appreciate the text you just sent me. And I was like, Oh God, what have I done? Oh no. Uh-huh. And and right. then he apologized. He, he, he doubled down and he said what, it, you know, something about how it was a compliment and something about the thing that I would think it was funny and it, I, and I told him he owed me an apology, and he said he was he he's sorry that he thought I was cool enough to take a joke. We had a text argument for about twenty minutes, and then at some point, I just realized I didn't ever want to talk to him again. I didn't want to. I didn't want to know anything about him. I think I told him to to delete my number. I I just you know threw the phone across the room and. And cried and did my best to put it out of my mind forever. And, and I, I carried a ton of shame. I, I felt so, so used. I felt humiliated. I just chalked it up to like, oh, I guess everyone has bad relationships. Uh, and then I had the absolutely surreal experience about, uh, two or three years after that, where I was sitting at my desk at my job, and some news broke about someone else in the Wizard Rock community soliciting sex from underage fans or something and somebody made a joke about oh it's it's Alex all over again and i just felt my blood run cold and i oh. i person aside and i said what are, what are you talking about and they said i can send you some links and they sent me a few links to a few blog posts and those linked to a few more and those linked to a few more. And I found out there were dozens of people and several of them were clearly, the timelines overlap where it was, and, and that's when some of those allegations come in.
0: Yeah, it, it yeah. He was monster. And so what I hope, for you and anyone else in a situation like this is to not feel like this is just how your relationships are going to be. That because of your training growing up that, and your personality, that this is just you're going to be taken advantage of. And when you're dealing with people who are so unfortunately good at this and actually notorious, then you're up against quite a force those people are not usual and those are not the ones that you're going to be coming across in your daily life. It would be a very crazy, even crazier world if that were the case and there were a higher percentage of people like that. And I think that there's a lot that can be learned from it as long as there is this sense of this didn't happen to me because there's something wrong with me. This happened to me because I was trained to look for the shiniest thing in the room and also that was how I developed a certain amount of value, right? And then that's going to matter more than let me take a moment and evaluate
1: mm-hmm. what
0: this is and who this is and if I deserve better than this, because it's not even so much that you can say you had a bad relationship. I think it wasn't a relationship. I think that he is just a collector. And and so I think that you will still have a wonderful relationship in your future. You know, I think that this was just really an anomalous sort of situation. But I wonder, just as we're finishing up, if you could speak to your younger self, what would you say to her as she was growing up in an environment where she was given messages about women or girls and boys? And again, the ability to have a full range of emotion or not, all of it and what to watch out for and what's okay to do and how it's okay to be, what sort of messages would you give her? Boundaries,
1: (laughs) any boundaries at all. I would, I think I, the thing that, and I'm, I say this now, but I'm still working on it. I, I would say that if somebody hurts your feelings and you tell them they hurt your feelings and they tell you that you're wrong or they, make you apologize to them for making them uncomfortable. Uh That person is dangerous. Uh It's someone doesn't have to hit you or or beat you up or assault you physically to be hurting you on purpose. And people can act concerned while they're hurting you and you're allowed to make a lot of noise about it if you have to. Like I know that I I talked earlier about like the boat like the canoe like waiting for someone to let you take the boat out I I think I would just go back and 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 be like you don't need their stuff no one has like you don't need that and maybe you're gonna you know maybe you'll have fewer friends or maybe you'll be alone or maybe you'll get shunned a little bit for a while but you know you don't need to to smother yourself to win someone over that's kind of determined to
0: not care about you that's such a powerful sentence wow I like that one okay if anyone quotes that give Lola credit I I think what's also important in your story and I was just thinking about this that the isolation that causes people to go along with the fold and go along with things and or the fear of isolation when they're young And there's so many people who will say, oh, I was able to be cajoled into doing something that I really didn't want to do or making fun of someone because that's what we were all doing. I do think the need for connection and a, a group cohesiveness is something that can sometimes propel people to act differently than they would otherwise. But. To take the risk to say, you know what, I'm going to step away from this group of people because I'm not finding a link here. I'm not finding a connection. You know, the, the part that I'm jumping to in your story is then the part where you said you were taking acting classes and you developed a group of friends, that it isn't your last chance to have friends just because those people were not able to connect with you or brave enough. To, at the time, say, I actually feel the same way you do, but I can't say it. There are other opportunities and other places to connect with people. And you don't have to stick with people by default, just because they're part of a community you were raised in. But you can find your place elsewhere.
1: Yeah, I, I had someone say something to me a couple of years ago that kind of blew my mind. And it, they meant it in a really benign way. But it was, they were talking about how people look for partners who have qualities they wish they had in themselves. They they just meant it as oh, find people who can inspire you. And the, the realization that I was putting so much energy into finding a guy mm-hmm. who had qualities that I would then amplify or support or support. nurture.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And and it, it actually has been when I'm scared to try new things, (laughs) this is so messed up. I will ask myself if I met a really cute guy who did this thing, would I be instantly obsessed with them? And if the answer is yes, it means that I'm not looking for that guy. It means that I want to learn how to do that thing. I don't inherently think like, oh, I, I can do that. I'll be like, oh, I wish I knew someone who did that. And I'll be like, wait, 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 wait. I'm, I i do not need, I don't need to find someone to give me permission to go on that, that trip. I can do that. You know, I can still like pick things and do them for me. I don't need to team up with
0: someone else to do that. I like that so much. Okay. I think it's really amazing to see just how many lives you've lived already, how many different environments you've been in that have been intensive environments where there were personality shifts and certain expectations. And also this sense from what I see is this kind of waiting, like waiting to get your t- turn to be special and be chosen and to get to this place where you're saying, I, I actually don't have to wait to feel that. And I don't have to be wait. I don't have to wait to be chosen by someone who has those qualities. I can have those qualities. And then when I have those qualities, I can then probably better and better equip, find somebody who then I'm going to be an equal to, who will respect a woman who has those strengths. And I think that I hope for that for you in the near future. You deserve it. Thank
1: you. I appreciate that.
0: <laughs> Again, I appreciate your openness, and I'm really happy to have gotten a chance to talk to you about this and also having this sense of the connectivity, the way our upbringing influences our adult life, but also knowing that there are different phases of our adult life, that there is the, ooh, I just became an adult and I don't really still know how to be in the world. And so I'm going to do things that are going to be way too familiar and not so healthy because that's all I know. And that happens almost all across the board. Um, <laughs> but it's so nice to then make a departure from that and to go into another phase of adulthood where you actually get to enter it being more yourself. Yeah. Okay. All right. So again, thank you. And I hope to talk to you again if there's anything else you wanted to share with all of us who are listening to your episodes.
1: It was wonderful talking with you.
0: Wonderful talking to you too. And I'll talk to you soon. I want to thank Lola for speaking with me again today and being able to share so much about her experiences. And after I speak a little bit about what Lola talked about, I'm going to be switching gears a bit. So, Lola talked about being love starved and then being open to meeting a charming person, someone who was able to then charm her, not necessarily someone who deserved her trust and love. She talked about This idea that she also needed to become the person who she was looking for in a man. First of all, many people who leave cults feel love starved. Many children are raised really as adults in cults without getting the kind of attention and nurturing they need. And that leaves them feeling love starved or sometimes not even quite deserving of love, but knowing that they do want it, and knowing that they feel that something is missing. But I think also it's confusing for people who have left cults to know what love looks like. And someone who has left an abusive household also has a very confused sense of what love looks like. Do you hurt the people you love? Do you endure being hurt by the people you love and who love you? Is that what it means? Because that's what it meant in their world growing up. Does love mean that you need to be submissive? And the fact that someone loves you, well, does that mean that you're not ever able or allowed to leave them and that it's your obligation to stay with them no matter how you feel about them? And to her point about becoming the person she was looking for in a man, I love that idea. Until you find someone who loves you and loves you well, with respect and with quality and with kindness and is honorable and trustworthy, then it's important for you to find a way to love yourself in the meantime. And when Lola said that, it reminded me of a quote by Anna Quinlan, one of my favorite writers. It's a long quote, so I just took out excerpts from it, and here it is. I read and walked for miles along the beach, searching for someone wonderful to step out of the darkness and change my life. It never crossed my mind that that person could be me. Thank you again to Lola for opening your heart and sharing your experiences and your wisdom with us and teaching us a little bit more about how childhood experiences can set a path for us that is one we often need to look at to see if it's a path that is leading us towards where we need to be or is one that is sort of veering us very much off track. And now, as I mentioned before Lola spoke, I need to switch gears a bit. I wanted to take a moment to talk about what happened last week in the U.S. Capitol building. First of all, it was a very sad and dark day. And it was also one that was filled with resilience because the lawmakers and politicians reconvened as soon as the melee was over and did not let it get in the way of the job they were there to do. But the lawlessness and having it be egged on by the president and some others within the government, and certainly by his very willing followers, was alarming to many, but shocking to almost no one who has lived through a regime of this kind and who has been in cults or a controlled environment where they were caught up in a mission, whether it made any sense or not. When you see the people who ran into and barged their way into the Capitol, you see a ragtag group of people carrying Confederate flags, people who were QAnon followers, people who were predicting that the storm was coming. And I suppose this meant maybe that the storm had arrived. Others, who are just Trump supporters and still others who are racist, sexist, homophobic, white nationalists, and boldly anti-Semitic, with shirts that said things like Camp Auschwitz on them, makes my skin crawl. The Proud Boys also, with their insignia, 6MWE, standing for six million wasn't enough, referencing the amount of Jews killed in the Holocaust. Well, they were right there for everyone to see wearing these t-shirts proudly, being proud boys, and I think not realizing there is nothing to be proud of by having messages of hate written across your chest. It only proves that you are totally unhinged. The bold behavior by the people who were tearing things down and breaking glass and sitting at legislators' desks and destroying property says something about mimicry and permission and how it causes a great air of entitlement. By mimicry, I mean that their behavior mimics their leader, Donald Trump's, and some of his subleaders who have now become more obvious to the public. That he can be very base with his base, as he's always been. And tacky in making fun of people with handicaps, calling women awful names, doing awful things to them, putting kids in cages, treating immigrants like criminals, Destroying basically so much in people's lives, being anti mask, and participating in the destruction of so much human life and getting away with it. Being impeached during his presidency and having nothing happen to him as a result was a frightening day for me and for all those who know what happens when a narcissist gets away with very bad things over and over because it just creates a monster or at least a bigger monster, and it gives the followers unspoken, or even sometimes spoken, permission to feel that they can do whatever they want and get away with it too. I think by them posting selfies of themselves doing these sorts of things, they were not potentially thinking that there would be any consequence. And why would they? Because if the President of the United States, who they follow, has gotten away with all these sorts of things, why can't they? as they are much less important. When you see the pictures of the rioters, some there with militant gear and weapons and clear intention, while others were just joining, jumping into the fun as they probably saw it, feeding off of the energy of the moment and being driven by the sense that this was somehow their right and their duty and their honor as Americans. But when you also see pictures of some of these people with the looks on their faces of anger and even righteous indignation about anyone trying to stop them, You see how entitled they feel. They were so worked up into a frenzy that there was almost nothing that was going to stop them. And people died that day. And that day should never have happened. In fact, the police had been forewarned. The Anti-Defamation League and others were alerting them to the danger they predicted on that day and other upcoming significant governmental days for months beforehand. But it was all ignored and you have to wonder why. If the rioters had been black, also, they would have been killed. If the rioters had been Muslim, they would have been killed. But white rioters confuse policemen, it seems, and they don't know what to do and don't feel right, it appears, to use deadly force on them. There will be more incidences as Trump is playing out his narcissistic injury because he's mad that he lost, and he wants everyone to pay. Lao Tzu said an evil enemy will burn his own nation to the ground to rule over the ashes. Well, according to that, that makes Trump the enemy. And while I'm speaking about what happened that day, this is a bigger issue. It shows how easily people can be controlled, how they can be pushed to the point where all good sense is gone, how they would be willing to do anything for this cause. But what cause is it? There really isn't one. It was all created by Trump. He stoked a fire by feeding conspiracy theories. He stoked a fire by lying. And he lied so often, even that day, that the lie became truth in so many people's minds. It's a technique used in dictatorships used by Nazis and talked about by historians and sociologists like Eric Fromm and even George Orwell, who wrote 1984, among others. Trump should never have been given this power. They say you find out a lot about a person when you see how they use the power given to them. He's not a statesman. He's a self-serving cult leader. And frighteningly, There are many millions of people around the world who still feel he was a good president. And that, my friends, is truly mind-boggling to me. Trump said after seeing footage of the rioting that he was embarrassed by the tackiness of his followers, which shows, actually, that he has allegiance to no one other than himself. But Mr. Trump, you attracted these kinds of people, and that's on you. As they say, you can tell a lot about a person by the company they keep. Talk to you next week. Thanks again for listening. Tired of ads? Well, listen or download this show for free on NPR's radio public app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Please support indoctrination at patreon.com slash indoctrination. We have over 100 interviews that you can access with any donation. Subscribers receive bonus interviews and other cool goodies. And we love hearing from you too. So send us an email at indoctrinationshow at gmail.com. Thank you for your support.